Good evening. We're so glad you could join us here this evening to celebrate Good Friday. My name is Brent. I'm one of the elders here at Christ Community Church, and we're, we're so grateful to be able to celebrate what a wonderful day this is, Good Friday. Now, as you're sitting with your family this evening, or maybe by yourself, you may be asking yourself the question, what is so good about this Friday? Likely, if you're watching this from home and you're watching us live, it's starting to get dark outside. And as you consider the world around you, it likely seems pretty dark as well. People are out of work. Life as we know it has come to sort of a standstill. There's uncertainty all around. People are sick and there's people who are dying. What is so good about this Friday? In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 27, we read the account of Jesus' crucifixion, the original Good Friday. At this point, Jesus has been tried. He has been wrongly accused and wrongly convicted. He has been beaten. He has been spit upon. And he has been delivered over to a Roman guard for execution. He has been forced to carry his own cross, the own instrument of his execution, all the way to the place where he will be publicly executed before a crowd. And when he arrives at that place, he's stripped of his clothing, nailed through his hands and through his feet to a cross, and left there for the shaming, for the ridicule, and for the scorn of the onlookers. As he hangs there, we read this in verse 45 of chapter 27. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. The sixth hour is about midday. You're counting from the morning, from the time the sun rises, and six hours later, it's about noon. And the ninth hour is about 3 p.m. There is darkness in the middle of the day. It's almost as if creation itself is aware of the tragedy that is unfolding, of the injustice that's occurring, and the darkness of the sky matches the darkness of the moment. And it's at the darkest moment of that day we read in the next verse, and about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus, in his turmoil on the cross, cries out to his Father in deep despair, Why have you forsaken me? There's a lot going on with what Jesus is saying here. But at its base, at its core, there is real emotion in his words. There is real anguish in what he says. There is real despair. And there is a real prayer, a real plea to his Father. And at that moment, Jesus is experiencing the full extent of God's wrath. Jesus, bearing in his body and in his spirit all of the consequences, all of the punishment, all of the judgment for every sin that has ever been committed in all the world, paying every debt, Everything that is wrong with the world in that moment 
comes crashing down upon Jesus, and he suffers at the cross. In 1 John 2, 2, we read this. He is the propitiation, the satisfaction for our sins, and not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus is paying a catastrophic price on the cross. And as that price is paid in full, we read this in verse 50. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice, and he yielded up his spirit. As we just read in John chapter 19, those final words that he say is the word telestai. It is finish. And then Jesus dies. This is the darkest moment of that darkest day. The worst moment, not only of that day, but of all of human history, of all of world history. The Son of God Himself, perfect, innocent, worthy, has been killed at the hands of sinful men. Sinful people just like you and I. Of all the wicked and terrible sins committed by mankind, this is by far the worst, and it isn't even close. Think of it this way. Every good thing that you or I receive, every, everything that we love, everything that we enjoy, everything that we need comes from God. He is the giver of all good gifts. And if there's anything that we hold on to or that we enjoy or love, God has given it to us. Our families, our possessions, even the skills we have to do our jobs, to make a living, the energy we need to go out and do the work that we have to do on a daily basis, the rest that we receive at night, our own livelihoods, our own lives. All of that is a good gift from God. And here in this moment, God has sent his greatest gift into the world, his own son. The greatest gift that God can give, he, he sends his own son. He comes himself in his son. And what do we do with that gift? We kill him. That's the injustice that's unfolding in this moment. So what is so good about Good Friday? Why is it so good? One of my favorite poems is written by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, and it's a poem called Gain and Loss. And I love how it goes, and it reads like this. He says, when I compare what I have lost with what I have gained, what I have missed with what attained, little room do I find for pride. You see, Longfellow is saying that he's a bad judge of success and failure. He doesn't take pride in his ability to determine when he's achieved something important and when he's failed. He goes on and says this, I'm aware how many days have been idly spent, how like an arrow the good intent has fallen short and been turned aside. You see, he describes his own ineffectiveness here. Many days he does nothing. He doesn't accomplish anything. In other days, he, he has good intentions of accomplishing something and he's only turned aside. He fails. But he concludes with this line. He says, But who shall dare to measure loss and gain in this wise? 
Defeat may be victory in disguise. The lowest ebb is the turn of the tide. You see, Longfellow reminds us that things are not always as they seem. Sometimes we think we've won a great victory and we're exultant in in how we've achieved something wonderful only to realize that it's empty. You've often heard the expression, be careful what you wish for. Sometimes the things that we think we really, really want turned out to be worthless or even to our detriment. At other times, our biggest Failures can be disguised as victories. We've all heard the stories of some man or some woman who has overcome some tragedy in their life to go on and achieve some greater story that they never would have imagined at their lowest moment. And nowhere is that more obvious. Nowhere is that more true than at the cross. As Longfellow says, The lowest ebb is the turn of the tide. The result of Christ's death are immediate. After he dies, in verse 51, we read this, And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The Old Testament temple had two areas, three areas really, but the the main areas were the, the outer courts where the Jews and the Gentiles could gather, and then the Holy of Holy, where only the high priest could enter, and even then, only at certain times of the year. It was where God himself resided, and he was separated from the rest of the world, and sin separates the world and all of its creatures from a holy God. But with Jesus' death, the curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the world has been ripped in two. And no longer is there separation from God. You see, the death of Christ, this dark moment in human history, brings with it reconciliation. There's reconciliation in that moment. You and I can now come directly to this holy God. We can pray to Him. We can seek forgiveness from him, and we can live as his children instead of as his enemies. That's not, a, not just reconciliation. There's also resurrection. You see, the next verse we read this the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared. You see, the earth itself here is preparing itself for the resurrection of Christ. We've all heard the phrase, earth-shattering news. This is the original earth-shattering news. Jesus' death has physical effects on the world. The earth itself begins to shake. And you read elsewhere in Scripture where it's described as labor pains, as if the earth is about to give birth to something brand new, new life. And that new life is first the resurrection of Jesus Christ and then the resurrection of the saints. And this little mini resurrection that we read about here only pictures in a small way the general revelation of a resurrection that we all look forward to one day. You see, the effect of Christ's death is life for the saints. But there's one final thing I want you to see here. It's the next effect of Christ's death that appears. 
In verse 54, we read this, when the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. You see, the centurions and the Roman soldiers who took Jesus to his place of execution, in, in one sense, they're caught in the middle of this whole drama that's unfolding. They're just doing their duty to a certain degree. At some level, although they're just as guilty as the rest of us for Christ's death, they're just doing what they've been told. But as the darkness begins to envelop them, as the skies grow ever darker and ever darker, certainly they become more aware of the rumors they've heard about this man. How he was supposed to be the king of the Jews, maybe even the son of God himself. And finally, as the earth begins to shake at the moment of his death, and as they are a witness to these momentous events that are unfolding around them, all the chaos and all the madness that has happened in that day, there is a moment of clarity. Even if it's only a moment, it's still a moment of clarity. And in that moment of clarity, they acknowledge, surely, truly, this was the Son of God. There's recognition. The death of Christ brings those three things, reconciliation with God, the resurrection that we all look forward to, and the recognition that Jesus is King. You see, out of the darkness of that day, the darkest day in human history, comes something that only God can do. Out of the darkness of that day comes light. The motto of the Protestant Reformation was this, post tenebras looks, after darkness, light. What the Reformers knew, what Protestants have known throughout the ages, what Christians have known throughout the ages is this, God brings light out of the darkness. And it's because of that fact that we can call this Good Friday. It's because of that fact that Christians can face any dark situation and know that because of the gospel, there's light. There's reconciliation to God. There's a future resurrection that we look forward to. And there's a recognition that Jesus Christ is King. And that's why this Friday is good Friday. Even this year, with all the darkness in the world, we can turn and look at the light of the gospel. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, you are good. All good things come from you. And it's because you are so good and you can overcome even the darkest darkness with your light that we worship you, that we praise you, and that we put our trust in you. And nowhere have you demonstrated more clearly your ability to overcome the darkness than at the cross. The worst moment in human history, the greatest tragedy in human history, the greatest injustice in human history, you have turned the tide and made that, even that good. And only a God as great as you can do that. And so we worship you. 
and we praise you. And we pray that that reality will always be on our minds. Thank you for your son. Thank you for his sacrifice. And may we praise him and worship him. This week especially, but every week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.